You're listening to the Black Belt Podcast and this is episode 3. A couple of things before moving on to today's guest. I'd like to take the time to thank everyone who's listened to episode 1 and 2. I've actually been blown away by all the support and it's greatly appreciated. If you have listened and enjoyed the previous episodes, I'd ask you to leave it a like and review on whatever platform you listen on. Also feel free to share on social media as that all helps the podcast grow. If you have been enjoying the podcast and would like to make a donation to help cover studio costs, there'll be a link to the Patreon page in the description, and there's also a link on the website, theblackbelter.com. As well, I'd like to give a shout out to Darren Buckley, who's a marketing designer, who's done some slick promos for the podcast, the Irish Taekwondo Association, and also the International Taekwondo Federation. So you can check him out at BAS Design on Facebook and Instagram. If you're looking for any work to be done to help promote your club, whether that be on social media or on your flyers. Moving on to today's guest, I'm joined by Mr. John Mackey. John has a wealth of knowledge of both kickboxing and taekwondo, gained through years of competing and coaching. John is the head coach at Red Star Kickboxing here in Dublin, where he's trained many world and European champions. John is also Kickboxing Ireland national coach. And outside of combat sports, John has undertaken a master's in student coaching science in sport in UCD and is also the high performance director of Canoeing Ireland. Today, I talked to John about his experiences as a coach and competitor and also the current state of WACO on their journey to being an Olympic sport. So, let's get into it. What's up, John? Hey, Jamie, how are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Uh, lovely stuff. Thanks a million for doing it. Not a bother. So, uh, just before we start, um, Adam Shelley was telling me that he had a double brandy and a few cigars to pull on while he was doing the interview, and I'm here with a glass of water, so uh, I'd just like to make uh, the point. <laughs> uh, yeah, Adam we'll, being royalty. We'll break out the hard stuff maybe <laughs> later on. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start where I've started the last two podcasts. Uh, I've said before, I think everybody has a story on why they started martial arts. So uh, I'd like to get your story on why you started. Ooh, um, we go back to the 80s, unfortunately. Um, 1986, I started in Kempo Karate in Stanhope Street, an IKKU club. <clears throat> I was there for a couple of months. Um, it was at a time where Bruce Lee was kind of big in the yeah. big in the movies, even though he was around in the 70s. Um, best of the Best was there, and, and Bloodsport, and Jean-Claude Van Damme was making a, making a splash. And uh, there was a group of us that got interested in martial arts while everyone else, else was off playing soccer and kicking footballs around the streets. We decided we'd go down the martial arts route. route. So uh, there was a Kempo club, a long-established Kempo club in Stanhope Street, and we went along. There was a friend of mine already training there. He was nearly a black belt. And uh, I trained there for a couple of months in 1986. Um, didn't really get a feel for it. Didn't really get the flow for, for Kempo. Not taking anything away from it. Super martial art. But just for me, it wasn't. It didn't take all the boxes. <clears throat> 1987 came along and it was a taekwondo club from Hill Street called the Irish School of Taekwondo. Moved into Prussia Street in um, just off Stony Barra there. That's where I grew up. And uh, a couple of myself and two friends went up to have a look actually. It was just a different ball game completely to the Kempo club that we had been in. Big lines of uh, of students <laughs> lined up in, in white doll box and there was a, an instructor there booming out these commands in Korean and everyone was doing kick combinations, front kick, turning kick, back kick. It just it blew, it blew us away. And um, at the end of the class, the instructor came over. Tom Carty was his name. Uh, a man who went on to be a very important part of my life, developing as a as a, as a young yeah. male, as, as, a, as a martial artist. And then he spoke to us and said, come on back for a class. And we did in 1987. Irish School of Taekwondo started nearly a lifetime of... A love affair with taekwondo and martial arts in general so that's where i started off um 
the Irish School of Taekwondo was a small club at the time, it was a small organisation. There was only two clubs attached to it. There was one in Stony Batter, one in Cabra. Um wasn't part of the ITF family. There was only yeah. at that stage in, in the late eighties there was only one ITF but only one ITF organisation in Ireland, which was the RITA. And uh, we weren't part of that. So we had the we had the I won't say the ability, but we had the opportunity, I suppose, to um do our taekwondo competitions but also venture into kickboxing competitions as well. So yeah. I kinda grew okay. I grew up uh, competing in taekwondo but also having the opportunity to go and do the Akai uh, tournaments as well at the time. You would have been mostly taekwondo at that time though, right? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent, yeah. Yeah, all my training was taekwondo. We just dabbled. We we did our, our, our kickboxing tournaments in our doll box, you know, we went as taekwondo yeah. fighters. Um got my black belt in ninety four. So yeah, I spent I spent all my, my early adult life in taekwondo, yeah. And uh what degree are you know? Yeah, uh, fourth. I got my fourth degree in um, 2010. Yeah. I'm, I'm due an upgrade at the moment. But <laughs> I'm not sure where it's going to come from, but I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not too concerned. About yeah, yeah. That. There's no need to really. If you're happy with where you're at, yeah. There's no push yeah, grades. Yeah, and 100%. when you started, would you have been mostly looking to do the fighting, the sparring kind of style, or would you have been yeah. interested in the patterns? Yeah, we didn't see a difference to be honest with you. You know, for us back then, the, the patterns were, had some sort of combat efficiency. There, there was stuff within the patterns that you could take out, and it's funny how. The sparring um, has has evolved since then because back then in the eighties um, we kind of took movements from the patterns and tried to make them work in the sparring. You know, so back then when you were sparring people, you could get flying sidekicks thrown at you. Obviously, you got back fists in there, twisting kicks were getting thrown at you. All sorts yeah. of stuff that was in the patterns, which was which was quite enjoyable. Obviously, it's not it's not the same now per se. But um, we we didn't see a differentiation between patterns and sparring at the time. They yeah, were all yeah. they were all training. They were all just See, I think as well, like the patterns can sometimes replicate more of what you see in the movies. Yeah. And if that's why you start, there's yeah, kind of yeah, a bit yeah. more of a draw to that. Hundred percent. Then yeah. actually the the yeah. actual fighting, the sparring kind of yeah. style of stuff. Yeah. Well, like we didn't know what we were doing. Like that's yeah. honest. Like Tom Tom Carty was a super instructor. He he had the an ability to bring out the best in us as young males, I suppose, at the time, and he made us feel ten foot tall. And uh, he gave us some super confidence, and he made us he made us feel really good about what we were doing, and that we were confident in our ability. But like many instructors back then, we weren't training scientifically. We weren't doing things the way you would train yeah, now. Yeah, old school. Old school. Yeah, we were on hard floors. We were doing knuckle push-ups. You'd start with static stretching, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Most of our, our <laughs> probably all of our, our tactics and techniques used in sparring came from the movies. I remember watching Best of the Best before we travelled to Cork for a tournament one time and watching one of the fights in the final of Best of the Best and I tried to replicate the same tactics <laughs> in my fight from Best of the Best. <laughs> I had no clue what we were doing, you know, but had had fun, had the crack doing it. Uh, it was all very fantasy based, but what, what a journey, you know, what a way to start. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said though for being the old school method, like you came up tougher in some ways like that like yeah. that probably that probably did you some good later on yeah probably you know? i'm not sure but yeah it would make an interesting research topic for sure you definitely know? would yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah like as kids we were we were we were punching boards at grading so you probably wouldn't get away with doing stuff that like that now. no you wouldn't no, it was pretty no. full-on contact with sparring and we only had the little mitts and um, probably even skinnier now than what you would wear for for taekwondo sparring mm. or point point fighting and spinning back fists were in, all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff were in, you know, so you wouldn't know what you get hit with. But yeah, who knows? Everyone reminiscence about the old days and how training was different, but it was different. It was a little bit more grittier, I think. Yeah. You weren't you weren't wrapped up in a, in a cotton wool or anything like that. Like some, yeah, yeah. Like some the, kids are now. It has its cons, but that yeah. probably has its pros as well. To, For sure but, it does, yeah. You, you develop resilience. You know, mm. the body, I don't know, um, I've got a couple of hip problems and 
couple of injuries probably that date back to when we used to train um you know probably in the, not the most scientific method but um yeah resilient wise absolutely confidence wise 100% 100% you gain lots of confidence and um did you, you you did compete much when you were younger yeah, and even we into did, your yeah. later years and like as yeah you we did progressed. yeah we, we we didn't get a whole lot of opportunities when we were when we were young to travel away the way yeah. kids are now but we we competed on the national circuit a lot um the AITA at the time had had open tournaments. Um, Akoi had all the open tournaments. Probably did a lot of Akoi tournaments, to be honest with you, because the ITF at the time was just you had to be in an ITF club to compete at ITF tournaments and that. So yeah, we 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 got on as many as possible. Um, Pat White, even back in the day, was running consistent tournaments when he had the Taekwondo Association of Ireland before the best of the best came along. So we'd tournaments probably every three or four weeks. Uh, so we were competing pretty pretty yeah. regularly as as, yeah. as as young flas, you know. So yeah, it was good. It was yeah. good. Lots of uh, lots of experience. There was a lot more competitions back in the day. A even even from when I remember when I would have been a colour belt in that coming up. Yeah. There was a lot more competitions than to what there is now. Mm. So yeah. I think that's that's a shame. Yeah. Because I think like just getting in there every couple of weeks, there's oh, something man, to be said in your in your yeah. development. Lots to, of flight time, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, it's a bit different now. I think I think martial arts in Ireland is probably a little bit more fractured now. And people are operating a little bit more disconnected uh, than what they used to, you know. So that the back in with the Akai tournaments in particular, everybody came to them because you know that's where you got everybody came together as one to compete against each other, and it's 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 not like that anymore now, you know. Yeah, politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm seeing quite a bit of stuff with the karate and stuff. Yeah, karate and a spot of butter at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I hope to get through it, you know. Yeah, it would be it would be great if we could have somebody at the Olympics for karate, but mm. I suppose we'll see. Yeah. Um, time will tell not venturing down that road today anyway yeah yeah <laughs> that's, no that's, that's not for this podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how did you end up then in the kickboxing so actually we'll take it to starting the club yeah starting so, my own club yeah, yeah 2004 right, so the Irish School of Taekwondo closed up in 1997-ish uh, at a time where I started working um, so I was busy working and wasn't training as much and, and <clears throat> I went down to see my instructor Tom in Hardwick Street when he was living down there he offered me the club to take on and, and keep going with it but I was uh, I was just too busy with work. I started an apprenticeship and, and, and didn't really have the head for it. So the Irish School of Taekwondo closed down as it was and Tom retired. Um, and I didn't train for about two or three years, didn't do anything. Um, a friend of mine, I was living in Cabra then, a friend of mine from across the road, another former Irish School of Taekwondo um, member, Paul O'Brien, um, he was training in, in uh, Santry at the time with John Darcy in Ama. Um, we were just chatting, I think we just met at the gate one day at the uh, front of the house and he was telling me what he was up to and I was like, geez, I'd love to get back to doing a bit, you know. So yeah. I went out and I, I joined up with AIMA for about six months out in Santry uh, training with Master Darcy and I uh, fell back in love with it again, you know, started to get fit again, uh, put on a bit of weight from sitting around, so started to get that off me. Um, then we decided in 2004 that we maybe started up our own club in Cabra. There was no Taekwondo club in Cabra. So we said, yeah, let's give that a bash. And uh, we searched around a couple of halls, found a hall in Finbar's National School. And we opened up our first class in April in 2004 there, um, which was great. We got a whole pile of kids in um, started relatively small, like most cl- most clubs do. Um, chipped away at it. And it was at, it was at a time, actually. So the ITF had split in 2001. So there was, yeah. lots, of, there was lots of options now for joining Opened other organisations yeah. that weren't there previously. You were either independent, you were kickboxing or you were in the ITF from a... Taekwondo point of view and uh, Don Dalton in Cork who you might be familiar with in the IUTF had joined with one of the breakaway groups 
um, the international groups, the ITF under Che Jung-wa, which was the general son. And then you had the AITA still doing a little bit, um, and the RITA, obviously, the INTA, and you had lots of options. Yeah, you still know, have lots of options, menu, yeah. 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 So um, we, decided, we decided we'd go with the IETF um, and the Che Jung-wa route because um, Trevor Nichols, master, Grandmaster Trevor Nichols now, who was involved with the Irish School of Taekwondo back in the day as a, as a senior examiner, he was also uh, with the same ITF group, so it was just by knowing him and being yeah, involved just, with him just in the made past. Sense. Yeah, it just made yeah. sense. So we reached out to him, and he pointed us in the direction of the uh, Irish United Taekwondo Federation. And we joined them in two thousand and four. So um, we got into the ITF structure, started learning sine wave and all the nuances mm. involved with ITF patterns that you wouldn't have learned from being outside of the ITF. Um, and then Paul, actually, who we opened the, the club with, um, he moved to the south side. He had to move out of Cabra. He okay. was moving to Drimna. And so he went to Drimna and set up his own club. And kind of I was left um, with, with Cabra. 2005, then um, I joined, affiliated with Akai, which is Kickboxing yeah. Ireland now yeah. in 2005, just to get access to the tournaments. Um, okay. They also had, before the ITA became the advisory panel, but in, within IMAC, um, the ACOI had access to the level one and level two coaching and guard vetting at the time and all that type of stuff. So I thought it would be a good option to get involved with them. Um, so we were, I was kind of back back to where I started within the Taekwondo kind of kickboxing world. Yeah, circulating yeah. Between, yeah, between Taekwondo tournaments and, and, and kickboxing tournaments. Um, and then through, through um, Don Dalton, I got an opportunity to put the gloves back on again and, and, and compete with his team, travel around a little bit, get some internationals under the belt and that, you know, so that was yeah. great. Uh, uh, I, I, digging in to do some research, I saw one or two videos from European Championships. So we just oh, God, let's not talk about that, yeah. But, uh, that was, was awful. Really? <laughs> yeah, that was 2008, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think it was. It was. Yeah. It was 2008, Sardinia, European Championships. Uh, I, I lost the medal due to a disqualification. For yeah, that guy. I saw yeah. that. It was a good Stupid. shot. It was a left hook. There was a few <laughs> yeah. things. It was probably excessive. The referee had called stop, apparently, but I hadn't heard him. Um, yeah. Um, and apparently, the, you'll see in the video, the Spanish coach running across the ring. Yeah, yeah, I saw uh, that. He yeah. was shouting in, in Spanish, but apparently one of the guys that translated that later on, he was shouting at his fighter to stay down, to stay down, to stay down. Oh, so he stayed down for about eight minutes. Yeah. Uh, they made a big hoo-ha out of it. And uh, that was a tactical error. That was silly. I kind of rose, I rose to the challenge. He had jumped on my foot. If you look, mm. a couple of seconds previous, me to, previous to me hitting, hitting him with the left hook, he had jumped on my foot and then he winked at me when, <laughs> when oh. he did it. So I, oh, I said, fuck it. You got to go on. Young man, you know, I was about 27, maybe 28 at the time. I said, fuck this. So, yeah, threw a medal away. But the guy that won the, the hyperweight at the time, Kevin Guy, um, I got to fight him in the final in the men's team event. Hmm. And I beat him. I beat him handy and he won my division. So okay. I was like, oh, there, there's a little victory to take away from it. A little bit of salt in the wounds there, maybe. But yeah, it was nice to say that I had that victory. That victory, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. You live in there, um, and at the moment, would you be? You'd be mostly kickboxing there. Oh, kickboxing now, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. In the last in the last year to eighteen months, I've kind of phased away from patterns completely, um, and it's all it's all kickboxing now. Yeah, it's all sparring. It's all any particular reason? Just uh, just enjoy it more. I do. I enjoy it more. Mm. Yeah, I enjoy it more. I enjoy being involved with the kickboxing. Um, I st- I started to get less interested. I was really interested in patterns. I did a lot of a lot of work on them and get myself up to sp- up to scratch. I travelled around a lot. Did a lot lots of in- international instructor courses. 
um, performed them well enough for for a big old lump. Um, but uh, yeah, just as time went on, as we got more involved in the kickboxing, I found it less and less relevant to the role I was going on as yeah. a, as an instructor, as a coach. And uh, I was busy with kickboxing Ireland, and um, there was less and less people wanting to do patterns within the club. There was a couple of older like parents and that were were enjoying the patterns more than they were enjoying the the sparring elements. And I just had to make a decision, and it was phased. It, we didn't just say one week, right? We're not doing it that anymore. Yeah, it yeah. was phased. Sorry, reduced yeah. and stop yeah. taking members in. Yeah, yeah. So it's all into yeah, kickboxing. Yeah, so it was all kickboxing, and then only in the last twelve months we kind of phased out wearing doll box now. We're wearing kickboxing fight suits and stuff like that. It was a tough decision. It really yeah. was a tough decision because taekwondo will always run through me. You know, it was where you started. It was always what yeah. I did. Yeah, and it was just through circumstances that I ended up um, with kickboxing Ireland. Um, I I could be sitting here as a member of the Irish Taekwondo Association. That was on the that was on the cards, but it just didn't work out that way at the time. Yeah, do you think you'll maybe go back? I don't think Somewhere. so. I oh. think it's moved on now. To be honest with you, um, ITA are a fantastic organisation. At the time, there was only the ITA and the AITA were two small organisations, and um, they were starting to get their affiliation together and then and then uh, developed the Taekwondo Advisory. Yeah. Uh, take on an advisory board and I did have discussions at the time um, about joining and I signed some paperwork and, and I joined for a year actually but it was at a time when they were you know they were only a small organisation and getting their stuff together where Akai were very busy getting stuff done there was stuff happening there was stuff to go to there was coaching courses there was first aid yeah, courses yeah they were a lot more yeah. advanced along the journey yeah so yeah exactly um, and it was just for that reason alone really that I decided that uh, obviously you can't be a member of both so I just had to I had to make a decision and, and, and went with Akai as it was at the time you know and uh, when did you decide to stop competing and go full time into coaching? Then two thousand eleven was my last my last tournament in Scotland. I went to Scotland for the Scottish Open, and uh, I had a, just a, had a few things in the as Rocky would say, a few things in the cupboard that I wanted to get out, a few skeletons that I wanted to get rid of, you know, yeah, just to get that last kind of feeling of competing and preparing and stuff like that. So I prepared really well for Scotland. I've been training with Terry Donnelly out in Loch Shinny. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, Terry was one of those pivotal people um, at a time in my career. You know, you, you, you kind of meet influential people in your career that kind of they act as a springboard to push mm. you on, and you learn you learn lots. Like Don, Don Dalton would would have been one. Don was someone who really focused on mindset and heavy sparring, and you know, getting you know taking ten shots to give that one big <laughs> that shot. One you big know? one. <laughs> Hence why I, my nose broken a few times. But Terry was the um, Terry was the next person that I. I started training with out in Loch Shinny and uh, I learned so much from Terry from a technical point of view you know it was the first time I started to hear about making angles and moving off centre line and being a little bit more relaxed and setting traps for opponents where before yeah. it would have been all about it doesn't really matter what the opponent does you just go ahead and put Stuck your, in, head down get and your stamp on him yeah, yeah yeah which is probably not the the, the, the most uh, beautiful method of sparring to watch and I uh, learned a lot from Terry travelled to Slovenia a few times with him Trained with Tomas Barada, um, a couple of international guys. Learned so much, soaked it all up, and then we had a we had a group in Loch Shinny. There was myself, Terry, a very small group. Um, Mr. Aidan Walsh, obviously, he was a, a legend within mm, the world yeah, of taekwondo. Yeah. Martin Lawless, and one or two other guys, and we just we used to meet on a Tuesday, and it was like a little science lab for sparring, where we were trying out yeah, stuff. Nice. And yeah, it was brilliant. Like I learned so much there, and that really, really encouraged my coaching and my understanding of technical sparring. So I was training with Terry. So Terry was kind of coaching me um, as 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 I was finishing up my career. And I'm using the word commas career like it was yeah. just it wasn't it wasn't a super serious career, but I was enjoying it. And I went to Scotland in 2011. I won the Scottish Open, and I decided that was it. Then you know, focus on 
focus on the coaching and didn't really have the time for the preparation. You were going to tournaments and you were meeting young lads who were like they were training twenty four seven and you're working, you're trying to pay a mortgage and you're trying to run the club yeah. and they're just didn't you're trying to put a, you're trying to put a full on them and you, you just can't cast them, you know. So it was time to hang the gloves up. But I was happy, I was happy with it, you know. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, and then. You would have had fighters coming through then, like Lauren and that would have said. Yeah, maybe been yeah, yeah, that yeah. That's started right, coming yeah. through at that time. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd focus I'd, into them. Yeah, I two, I, I two really good guys coming through at the time. One was Lauren, obviously he was training with me since he was seven. The other was a, a, a student from from Terry's actually. He was a blue belt with Terry, and then um, he couldn't make the trip out to Lochshinny all the time because Lochshinny's out near Balbriggan, and he was living in Finglas, so he came over to train with me. His name was Alvidas. Uh, he was shown. Tremendous potential. Um, I was really, really excited about him. Um, he went, ended up going off to a different club anyway. But we won't go there. And um, he stopped training, unfortunately. Now we stay in touch. Like I meet him from time to time. He's a, he's a good guy. But Lauren stayed the pace, uh, and and Lauren was the one person that kind of broke the mold for us in terms of yeah. winning internationally. Um, very clever fighter. Uh, tough, you know. When she walked into my club at seven, she had a, a big dinner stain down her top <laughs> she don't mind me saying this because I've said it before she had scars all over her hands and a football under her arm you know so oh, yeah. uh, and she was looking at me going what's this you know so she joined anyway and uh, she got stuck in um, and she was the first one to kind of break the mould in terms of high level international tournaments for us and someone that I could um, invest coaching time into and get something back in return in yeah. terms of results and stuff like that you know so we won we were playing around we were looking for international tournaments to go to we had won pretty much everything within the Choi Jung Wa group standard air wouldn't be great because it wasn't huge they had some really good fighters I'm not taking anything away from them but in terms of the population of fighters the pool of fighters it wouldn't be big um, and then we tried we went down with the RITA and we got stuck in with them and Lauren got on their international team and we went to the European Championships in Bulgaria 2012 which was a massive tournament compared to what we had been doing it was the North Korean ITF Yeah. so you had all the Soviet mm -hmm. bloc countries there you had the North Koreans there um, it was a spectacle and she won the she won the 70s she had four good fights four hard fights it was the first time she was ever tested really tested and uh, she had a semi-final that went to the extra minute and everything against a Greek girl really good Greek girl but she beat her um, in the last minute and then we'd rush it in the final and it was just technically very good you know she was excellent yeah. she can read a fight really well and she won she won the European Championships and then we decided what's next like what's the next step up and we thought well let's give the wackos a go you know that it so is she, yeah, definitely yeah. a step up. I it think, is a step up, yeah. yeah. It is a step up in terms of, of, of the tempo, the pressure of the fight, the standard of the fight. Um, the kickboxers, the international kickboxers in particular, yeah, they bring a whole new skill set in terms of their boxing ability, Yeah, which was something it's that done. was very new to us. Now, I had some boxing experience, but I wasn't as I, I never competed at a high level in boxing. Um, but with the kickboxing with Wacko, like it was definitely a step up in terms of 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 that skill set in terms of boxing and stuff. So, she had won the national championships, the junior national championships, a couple of years previous in a row. Two thousand thirteen, she won again, and we just said, "Hey, let's let's give the Wackos a go. Let's travel." It was the European Junior European Championships in Poland, and uh, we went and we won that too. So, <laughs> and it was actually up in in Poland where the whole thing kind of. Uh, evolved for me as a coach and I suppose and I suppose for us as a club because we weren't really 
we weren't really centrally involved with with kickboxing Ireland. We were going to their tournaments. We were kind of a, a member on the periphery. Yeah. You know, getting access to all the courses and stuff like that, but we didn't actually. Uh, we weren't well known on the on the competition circuit um, with kickboxing Ireland. But it was only when we went to Poland and she won the uh, the WACO European Championships that people went, "Oh, who are these guys?" Yeah, that and, uh, that that would have opened up then the the pathway then to yeah. you to get more people onto their national team and 100%. bring through more people. Yeah, hundred percent. Because we, obviously, with Lauren doing it, was like, okay, well, we know what we have to do and we can do it at yeah. that level. So, it, I mean, for confidence for me as a coach, it was great. Confidence for people in the club, it was great. Confidence for Lauren, it was great. But the next, the, the third person you talk about influential people in your career in your life that help mm. you move on. I got a chance to work with Ian Kingston, who was the national coach for kickboxing Ireland at the time. Yeah, and. Yeah. Um, I met him in Poland for for the, the well worked with him in Poland for the first time and obviously met him at squad training and that and um, I asked if I could sit in with him um, on the ring which is an, another great advantage of in coaching kickboxing is that there's two coaches on the ring so there's a national coach and a club coach you could just sit back and take it yeah in. sit back <laughs> and listen to what he was saying and he actually encouraged me to get involved in the coaching uh, at ringside and that which I thought was very open of him and his ability to read the fight technically and tactically was second to none I'd never I'd never really heard some of the stuff that he had been saying to his fighters previously I thought it was really really it was groundbreaking stuff even though he was doing it for years yeah um, and we were talking about range you know the ranges of of, of your fighter what range they hold and, and, and the, the timing at which they attack the fighter so all of this was really new information for me um, and so Ian was a, was, a, was a huge benefit to me progressing as a coach and Michael McDermott was in uh, Poland with us, and Michael was the director of coaching. And Michael's a, a very experienced, very clever guy. He's been around for a long, long time. And, and Michael saw the work I was doing, not only in the club, but also in Poland and helping Ian, even though I wasn't expected to do anything yeah, except sit in the crowd. I was getting stuck <laughs> in and, and giving a dig out. And Michael came to me and said, look, would you be interested in doing a bit of coaching with Ian and giving him a dig out? And I was like, yeah, big time, absolutely. Um, so we had a discussion. Ian was there. Roy Baker was there, and um, it was Roy's decision. Actually, why don't we uh, why don't we make an assistant national coach position for you to slot into and make it official? And uh, I thought, yeah, this is great. You know, happy days. One of the great things about kickboxing Ireland is that they're open. If you've got a skill set, they'll you know they'll encourage you to get involved. You know, where I found in some elements of taekwondo, it really depended on the rank on your belt, regardless of your skill set. And I felt, yeah. I felt a little bit excluded at times. You know. That's definitely yeah. a knock on taekwondo. Some people, yeah, they feel that because of their degree, maybe they have a right to a position or a job over somebody else, which yeah. maybe they don't. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and some so people are some people are worse than others. You know, it's 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 not everybody. But I've I've often been at IACs where people will look at your belt first before they'll actually look you in the eye to see if you're actually worth saying hello to. You know, yeah, which um, is uh, something that taekwondo suffers with. Badly, there's a lot. There's there's people in Taekwondo that hide behind their rank. I mean, we all know that, right? They yeah. probably wouldn't be physically capable of tying their laces. Do you know what I mean? But they hide behind the fact that they've served their time. They do their patterns of the grading, kicking the air, and making shapes and stuff like that. Um, I'm not taking anything away from people who are who train properly and physically within the martial arts. But there's an element of people in Taekwondo that don't train. Yeah, hide behind the grade, like yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that was one of the, one of my bugbears with with Taekwondo. Um, but I found in kickboxing it it didn't matter. Like uh, in fact, nobody has ever asked me what degree I am in kickboxing. That's a fact. Like no one has ever said what yeah. rank. It never. 
never. Um, I've rarely worn my belt to any occasions, um, and it was all about, well, what do you know and what can you do to help us? Yeah, it's just not much of an emphasis put on it in kickboxing. Is not it? at all, no. What it, can you step in and yeah, do in the ring? It's, it's, it's very what much can you give to fighters as a coach? Yeah, like, yeah, 100%. It's very much sport-orientated. It's all about what. It's all about the performance as opposed to the rank, you know? Yeah, Taekwondo still is in that cross of martial art and sport. Yeah. Yeah, so. which is it has its positives. Like for me, it's an, it's it's not, but for some people who may not want to get into competition sparring and stuff, you know, they just want to keep fit and do their thing and be involved socially in a club. You know, that's 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 you know, there's an element of that for for people in Taekwondo who want to go through the ranks in in Taekwondo that way. Where in kickboxing, there's no real obvious pathway in terms of rank. Yeah, you know, it's all about the competition. If you're yeah, training yeah. in a kickboxing club, similar to a boxing club or a football club, you're expected nearly to you're to compete yeah you know? that's to be honest that's where nearly I try to to push it towards is um, I can understand why you wouldn't want to compete and like you said the social mm. development kind of stuff Yeah. but for me I feel personally that any of the the, the good things I've learned through Taekwondo and martial arts have all been through competition you know like they do try to, to promote the tenets of courtesy thank yeah. you perseverance yeah, yeah, yeah. but I find most of that was le- like a lot of that was learned and those kind of skills through competition so like 100%. as the yeah the martial art and then social development side a lot of it can be developed through the sport side so I think putting a lot of emphasis on sport yeah. helps build helps build the martial art side of things as well yeah it does of course but, I mean sport sport is a vehicle regardless of whether it's in martial arts or anything else sport is a vehicle whether it's football or hockey or swimming or kickboxing or taekwondo it's that vehicle that if you're involved in it, you know, you're going to get the benefits of it. You're going to get the yeah. physical, you're going to get the mental, the social benefits of being involved in sport. You're going to develop that resilience. You're going to understand goal setting, achieving your goals, you know, maintaining an, an athletic lifestyle. Stepping onto the mats is a huge psychological challenge for everybody, regardless of your experience. There's so yeah, much to be garnered time. from competition. Um, but it's not for everybody. But like yourself, I would encourage people to experience yeah. it at, at any level, you know. Yeah, but well, I think... Yeah, I think you need to try it before deciding it's not for you. Hundred percent. That yeah. sometimes and you have to try it more than once. That sometimes, like a lot of times with the kids, they try it out once, they got scared because it is scary, and they go, "Oh, that's not yeah, for me." It can be it's like, no, go back and go back, and then maybe after yeah. a couple of years, you could say, "You know what? The competition's not for me. Yeah, I'm just happy to come along and train and Absolutely. keep fit." Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, competition. I, there's big, a lot to be from it. Yeah, yeah big time. Is, yeah, big yeah, time. Yeah, and it's, I think it's important that we that we encourage, especially the juniors, to at least sample it. Hmm. And and which is something we might talk about later on in terms of of where kickboxing is at now and 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 maybe taekwondo as well in terms of the junior competitors. Um, very much, I'm very much in favour now. My philosophy has changed about juniors competing that they get in and compete for the performance and for the experience, regardless of the result. You know that's very very important. I think for us now. Yeah, it's a, like we've said uh, definitely the last two. The process of that that. Yeah. Uh, just enjoying the training and who you're who you're training with. Yeah. Put more of an emphasis on that. Set a goal. Yeah. Yeah, but not putting too much on the result. Just get stuck in over and over again. Yeah. And eventually it'll come good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like absolutely. we had talked with Adam, uh, who's obviously been very successful in ITF Taekwondo, mm. who at the start wasn't very successful when he first got on the national team, but kept building, was enjoying the process. Yeah, it was of a getting few stuck years, in. wasn't it? Yeah, I was getting yeah. stuck in and then eventually started like he's had wins, but he also had some losses. Mm in there but developed into where now he's on a an incredible win streak yeah, like, yeah. but he hasn't lost an ITF Taekwondo since 2014 
Um, yeah, some record. He, he's had quite a win in kickboxing as well. Yeah. I think he's only lost at Wackos. I think he's hasn't lost at the Irish Open. No, he's a, he's a good record at, at so, Irish Open. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Wackos internationally. I'm not, I'm not has sure. Hasn't has went his way. No, but and then obviously has in has a good start into the. Yeah, he's fighting tonight, isn't he? He's fighting tonight, yeah. yeah. Second fight seeing the result of that. For second fight in two weeks. Yeah. So And he's I, doing it, you know what, he's doing it the right way. I'm a big fan of Adam. He's doing it the right way. He keeps his head down, you know, he's not all over social media. It, it turned out pictures of his face up. Yeah, it, it turned out he's fighting for a title tonight. Yeah. He was saying that there was meant to be the how he got the fight at short notice was it was meant to be a title fight. One guy pulled out. Yeah. He was going to step in. It wasn't originally going to be for the title, but he has Managed to swing it for a negotiation but in the background, yeah. but didn't say it to anybody. Yeah. It was only we only found out yeah. uh, when we saw a picture of him still holding the belt. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. how much he keeps yeah. his head down. I like saw that today. Yeah, 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 that's that's it. They're like, the guys so you have to look out for. You know, see the guys uh, that don't say a whole lot. The they're the guys room. you have to look out for. Yeah, they're the dangerous guys. See, the lads are all over social media and the girls as well. Freaking pictures everywhere and nonsense all over the place. Big brash kind of profiles and yeah. No, Adam's doing it right. Staying quiet. Working like, I'm sure he's working like mad in the background, and he'll deliver. I'm sure I'd say Adam will probably be one of the best combat sports fighters to come out of Ireland ever when he's finished, when he's retired. Like, I hope so. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I yeah. would like to think so. Yeah, and Ryan will probably. He's be just lucky him. I'm retired. <laughs> oh, is he? Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'd have went down to 69 just to fight Adam. All the way just for Adam. <laughs> yeah, I think Ryan as well. Yeah, let's see the, Ryan. The two yeah. of them together. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan won the wackos didn't he in Dublin? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Haven't heard from Ryan in a, in a little while now, but I know he's chipping away in the background. Two good yeah, lads. Same, keeping Two the head down. Lads, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, have you speaking about the juniors? Have you many juniors coming through for national yeah, team? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, we've a, we've a, of a. It's it's funny. I don't know how it happens, but it's happened. And maybe Lauren had a role to play in all of this. But most of my fighters are actually girls. They're teenage girls. So, of a group of about six or seven of them, there four of them made the national team last year. Um. I've got two Europe, two European champion titles, two world, um, obviously national kickboxing national championship titles, and then this year for the first time the Irish Open will have junior like contact. So we're 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 looking at obviously picking up a couple of medals there as well if possible. They're all at that age now where we can start specialising in terms of our training, seventeen and eighteen, and they've been with me since they were six seven years of age. Okay, and they've yeah. come through the process really good, um, really well, and very very happy. Um, and, I, and I think, I mean, they've obviously developed as friends. They've developed a little group amongst themselves. They've got a little identity going for themselves. And um, for years, I always put the focus for them and just enjoying their, their 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 pathway through the sport. Just enjoying the performances, getting out and getting on the mats, and and uh, just not get, you know getting spars off people um, and try try not to take the you know to put too much pressure on them in terms of winning all of the time. I think that may have paid off. I'd love to see them. You know, bridge the gap between junior and senior in in wacky yeah, kickboxing, and that they're they're going to be still competing when they're twenty two, twenty three. That's always tough. Yeah, yeah. We see it in taekwondo even a lot of yeah. You get the senior, yeah, and they fall off. No, for a number of yeah. reasons. College yeah. college can take over. Sure. Um. Yeah. yeah I've 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 a I've a thought on that one, and you're right. You know, there is obviously there's there's elements of of somebody's life where things just take over, and you know, you start jobs, you go to college, mm. or you get a a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, or you just lose interest but I, I I think in in the last two or three years I've been just chipping away at researching and reading and looking at, at the current situation and I know in, in definitely in kickboxing not too sure how it is in Taekwondo at the moment but the trend the the, uh, the jump from 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 junior to senior 
there's a lot of people not making it and if they do go mm. to senior they're dropping off really quick so for the first time in a long time the senior national kickboxing team is decimated like there's no there's hardly anyone competing at an international we're, level we're getting the same on the back of worlds mm. there was like there was a lot of emphasis put into the worlds yeah and then a lot of the people who would have been older members of the squad went yeah. away because yeah. they pretty much nearly achieved what they did. Like, yeah. And then Adam and Ryan and that went off into something else. Yeah, yeah. And the young people, the younger ones coming through, haven't necessarily started to step up yet. Yeah. So you, yeah. we'd, we'd hope that they'd start to come in and fill those spots. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's definitely something that is it's a problem. It's a problem with kickboxing more so because mm. a lot of the national or the uh, yeah the national team positions in, at senior level would have been held by ITF fighters. So Adam Ryan. Louise McCaw, um, even Hong was on the team yeah. there for a couple of years. Um, and they're coming in, obviously, from their taekwondo background, which if you were to remove them, and most of them are, have moved on or they're doing other things now, there's, a, there's just a gap. Like There's no one coming through the kickboxing structures to fill those gaps. Yeah. Um, and I, I was I was doing a, a lecture there um, last year with a, a lecturer from DCU, Dave Passmore. He was a high performance coach, and we 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 looked at the long term athlete development framework, and early and late specialisation sports, and it was like an epiphany. I don't know if it's accurate or not. It needs a bit of research, but um, combat sports are late specialisation sports, and I think we're we're focusing too early on the juniors. We've got junior children champions, you know, like children world champions at twelve and thirteen years of age. What does that mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah, who cares? Um, Wacko now are going to bring in a category for eight, nine, and ten year olds at world, and it's like who cares? Yeah, I just think <laughs> I, I don't know if it's it, it's 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 a longitudinal study. I don't know. It's going to be a few years to, before we see the results of all of that. But how is anyone at ten or eleven? who's going and travelling to international tournaments still going to be doing it when they're 22 or 23. I mean, what's the percentage chances of that? It's tiny, I think. Yeah, but sure. Like, as you said, like if they finish up by 15 and going, I am three times world champion. Yeah. So what, what have you left to achieve? Exactly. What, what's the strife for? Exactly. And I definitely think, because for me, I think there's there's a little bit more weight behind being a, a senior champion than there is a junior one. Absolutely. You know, yeah, 100%. And no, like when you're a junior and you're world champion, like there's nothing you can do you can't go and fight senior you've won yeah. you've beaten the people you can beat but trying to push them on to really mm. achieve the highest of being a senior champion in the sport yeah that that's that can be tricky yeah for me you're right that's the one that stands to you you know that's yeah like it's great to be a junior world champion or whatever it's a, it's a nice it's a nice achievement in in your in your junior years and as you're growing up but the real challenge is at senior level yeah that's where it's at um and i just i don't know i just i think focusing too much on on the juniors and having them to come back with medals all the time, I think, is probably detrimental to the long-term development of the sport. You know, and yeah, I think I I would I'd put money on it. It's one of the reasons why we don't have a huge turnover of seniors. You know, like from junior to senior. Yeah, yeah it's definitely yeah a big thing. A, a big thing. Like yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. if somebody was to put it, it was to actually take that as a research topic and and do it over a number of years and and see. And track maybe some juniors' progress through the you know through the junior years and 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 see what happens when they when they hit senior. Now, as well as that, like there is there's other things for for senior fighters to do now. MMA is a huge draw, obviously for 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 males and now females. Yeah, yeah. So we've Dee Begley from Cork who was a kickboxing fighter and Sean Abannon, who was a kickboxing yeah, yeah. fighter. Um, Sean is a she's a couple of times world champion in kickboxing point fighting and light contact yeah and all Dave good people they'd yeah. all be good people to get on the podcast yeah even, absolutely even, even Lauren uh, would be good to get yeah, on yeah so yeah for sure yeah, some yeah for sure yeah definitely <laughs> 
Um, they're, they're doing MMA now, and obviously Ryan and, and, and Adam and the lads are doing MMA now. So obviously MMA is a huge draw on, on people as well. So there's a couple of factors as to why we're not holding on to senior fighters in kickboxing, but I'm sure early specialisation might be one of them. And uh, like I said at the start, you're doing a Master's in Coaching Science and Sport. Yeah. And has have you found much benefit from that, like you said, research-wise, yeah. into improving your kickboxing yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and absolutely, yeah, and and validated in some way too, you know. So, um, just finished a, a module at the end of last year, which was coaching theory and practice, which was really interesting. Um, we had uh, some great uh, lecturers come in from from um, all different sports, from from soccer, from golf, um, from hockey, um, from individual sports as well. Come in and and, and give lectures on, on 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 a multitude of different subjects. Uh, of course, you're going to pick up you're going to pick up so many uh, so many great things on a course like that. But you're also you're seeing things and hearing things that you might be already doing in your practice, which is great yeah. for validating what what you're doing and, and where you're going with your own coaching style. Um, yeah, it's a super course, and it's uh, I'd advise anyone who's really interested in in sports coaching to maybe look at it and, and try get on it because obviously having a master's degree in something like that is is huge. But it's, it's a great course, and uh, yeah, picking up loads on it. Absolutely loud. Yeah. I find maybe potentially sometimes you get where you hear something that you know you should be doing and it seems like a good idea and like, oh, maybe yeah. I was doing that before or I should be doing that. Yeah. It's not yeah. necessarily new information but it's just that reminder. Yeah, a little that, reminders, that, yeah. That you can yeah. bring into yeah. Bring into your training. Yeah, the problem the problem with a master's or, you know, with any college course is that if you're really interested in your subject is that they'll present you know, a, a, a field of, of papers and subjects and stuff and you start, well, that's interesting and then there's reference to another paper and geez, that's even more interesting and before you know it, you're stuck. Down, you're the, ra- down the rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole yeah. you go, you know, you've got papers getting pulled out left, right and centre and you've got notes all over the place and uh, it's, it's correlating all of that. So, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm really enjoying it at the moment. I feel very lucky to get on it, you know, because I've no, uh, I've no primary degree, no undergrad. All oh, right. So, my experience in, I had to apply a friend of mine in in, uh, in canoe sport actually said to me, look, have you seen this course come up? And I said, I'll have a look at it. And, uh, what do you think? And he says, go for it. He goes, just apply. He goes, all they can say is no. So I sent in a couple of references, sent in my coaching uh, certificates. Uh, the fact that I was working within canoe sport and in kickboxing, which was a, an unusual combination of sports yeah. um, and all of that. And they obviously they considered it all. And then I got the email to say, look, you've been accepted onto the course. So I thought it was fantastic. So it was nearly all those years of volunteering within the sport, you know, getting paid nothing to be a coach and, you know, to get involved and to do your own hmm. research, your own reading, go and do, you know, small courses here and there, all pays off. You know, so I've just jumped on the National Framework of Qualifications from junior <laughs> cert to master's degree. <laughs> so I'll take that, yeah, thanks Brilliant. very much. And uh, yeah, you, as you mentioned, the canoeing, so how did that kind of come about that you got, got in? In that. Uh, it's not necessarily a topic that Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Actually, it was after I stopped competing in 2000 and in 2011. Um, I wasn't competing and was not directly looking for another sport to be involved in, but I was working with a friend of mine, Jerry O'Flaherty, who was kayaking at the time, and he used to come into work every Monday morning with adventure stories of being in Wicklow and the hills and all sorts of catastrophe and adventure and and near misses and I thought I'll give this a go and see yeah. you know and I went down and had a splash about in a boat at Wildwater Kayak Club and I thought this is really interesting and just got stuck into it from there you know so 2011 I started and progressed through the, the skills levels got involved in coaching um, with, with that and then um, 
I was coaching to, uh, I did my level four, so there's five levels within coaching or instructing in, in canoeing, and I got to level four, which is an, an advanced uh, level, uh, trainee level four. Um, and I went for, there was a job opened up in, in the National Government Body as Training and Development Officer, and I got a couple of messages off people saying, geez, you know, this could be right up your street, give it a go, and I was working full-time at Red Star, so that was kind of my, my, my business. I'm a terrible businessman, really bad, <laughs> really bad yeah. businessman. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. so the fact that this came along at the time it came along was 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 really good. Um, and I went for it. Sixteen people went for the job. Six people were called for interview, and I put in a cracking interview and got stuck in. Nice. So training development officer, um, January two thousand eighteen. In October, um, the chief executive was looking to pull together a high performance structure because we had no high performance structure within the organisation even though we've got two Olympic disciplines canoe slalom and canoe sprint and he was an interim CEO um, that was brought in to kind of just stabilise stuff it wasn't things weren't going too well for the organisation and uh, he was looking to recruit a voluntary high performance officer at the time and um, it was never going to happen really like no one's going to take on a role voluntary and uh, not, at that, not at that level not at that presume. level no yeah. but there was no money in the organisation to hire a high performance director so um, he sent me the, the job spec and I replied back to him because um, he just wanted me to throw an eye over it and because um, he knew I had some performance coach background and stuff like that so I emailed back to him and I said jeez that sounds like the dream job and then he mm. spoke to me the next day I said, look, is this something you might be interested in? Because we really need to take this box from a Sport Ireland point of view. The fact that we've two Olympic disciplines, um, it was something that we had to we had to uh, have a look at. Uh, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'm your man. Lovely stuff. Yeah. And has there been did the kickboxing, the coaching kickboxing background, did that stand to you in the yeah, it did. in the canoeing? Yeah, absolutely, it did. I mean, obviously, there's you know there's elements of coaching regardless of the sport. There's, that's, it's going to cross over to all sports and, and that, you know. So while I'm not actually directly coaching canoe athletes, um, it's being high performance director, it's more about having the processes and the systems in place and the structures in place mm. to make sure that everything's working and going in the right direction. You're dealing with strategy and budgets and all of that. But the fact that I was involved with kickboxing and coaching was, um, yeah, it was a huge feather on my cap. When I was doing the interview, they were really interested in the work that I've been doing, working with kids and bringing kids through. And the fact that I had kids join at an early age, win some championships, and still be competing was something that they were very interested in. And is that is that is that a problem they'd face as well in terms of bringing people through from young age? Is it because yeah, obviously both would be considered probably minority sports. Yeah, for as sure. A, they're not soccer, GEA, rugby. Yeah. yeah. Um, would there, would there be kids involved? Yeah, there are. Yeah, yeah. there's juniors involved. Yeah, the the, the problem is that. Um, it's it's funny actually canoeing is like kickboxing there's seven disciplines within it so kickboxing you've your seven disciplines yeah. you like contact points etc and in canoe sport you've got seven disciplines as well you've got your surf your sprint your slalom um, so it wasn't unusual in terms of the structure both of the structures resembled each other um, but in canoe sport there was there was, there was no join up at all all of the seven disciplines were doing their own thing completely mm-hmm. separate to everybody else so that was one of the structures that we had to try and put into place at the time and uh, one of the jobs I had um, was trying to develop a junior pathway. So while there was juniors active in certain disciplines, there was no there was no clear pathway to bring them through the sport and nurture them and guide them and keep them involved in the sport. While lots of good work was being done at a club level, there was no overarching structure or strategy to keep them involved in uh, in any in any long term way. So it was one of the jobs that we had in developing a strategy for that too. And. Would it be de- uh, also looking to develop a strategy and maybe guiding towards Olympics? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, with the two Olympic sports there, 
um, you know, the icing on the cake will, would be an Olympic medal. Um, and we have had a couple of, of Olympians um, participate in the Olympic Games in the past in in both canoe sprint and in canoe slalom. Um, there's been a gap. There's been a gap since London um, with nobody in Rio for the first time in a couple of uh, couple of Olympics. Um, so obviously Tokyo is next year. Um, yeah. We have we've you know we've people interested. We've got we've got three carded athletes, which means they're getting direct funding from Sport Ireland. Based on, on performance criteria, yeah, it is big time. Based on performance criteria from last year, um, they're given you know they're given an amount of money to help them with their training and that. Um, so we're hopeful. Um, we've one athlete, one carded athlete in canoe slalom who's based in France, which is a big positive for him because we don't have the facilities for Olympic slalom courses here in Ireland at the moment. So he's based in France, living and studying and training in France on an yeah. Olympic course. So. I'm going well, over in March to see him yeah, himself and his coach and just you know catch up and see what he needs. Is there any reason why we couldn't have the facilities? Um, we're not short of rivers, like yeah, and things no, like that. Like, yeah, we're, not short, yeah. we're not short of water, so no, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but uh, the the actual slalom um, course is an artificial course, um, you know. So they, they they start at the top of it and they go down through the yeah. rapids, through the yeah. gates, the yeah. green poles and the red yeah. poles, up to the red poles. Um, that's an artificial course. It needs to be designed and made. Now okay. there is talk of one going into the uh, George's Dock in Dublin City. So Dublin City Council are, are running that project at the moment with a projection of about two or three years before that comes, if if it happens. Yeah. We're quite positive that it will happen. But up until you know, canoe slalom athletes have something to paddle on, they have to travel away to get access to courses outside of Ireland. And uh, so keeping on the Olympic team, the mm. WACO has recently gained IOC recognition. Um, yeah. Obviously, still a way to go to get it actually in the Olympics. Yeah. But uh, do you think that will happen eventually? Uh, yeah, or? I think so. Yeah, I do. I think so. I think the the drive in the Waco leadership that's there at the moment is phenomenal. Like Waco applied for IOC recognition, I think seven or eight years ago, and um, and Sonia Falsoni, Ennio Falsoni was the president. Um. And that there was ups and downs in that. It hit a couple of barriers. Some of the other kickboxing organisations tried to apply at the same time, and you know it causes problems. But I think it was three, maybe three and a half years ago, four years ago. There was there was Roy Baker, Espen Lund, and uh, Borislav Pelovic, who was recently passed away. He was the former president of Waco uh, before Roy Baker um, was elected recently. It was like the three of them and Barbara Falsoni um, got together and, and and drove the project again. Um, th- three, four very, very capable people and managed to deliver on it this time, obviously with IOC recognition. It's provisional recognition, but look, it's, it's a fantastic start. Like It's a great achievement for the sport. Yeah, I think... Um, see, I haven't speaking to, spoken to Adrian, who obviously mm. works in Sport Ireland. The issue that some sports have is that there's only a set number of sports that can be in the Olympics, so it's a one-out. Yeah, one-out, one-in, one yeah. Kind of and system. there's a huge queue. <laughs> it's exactly. a massive queue. Like as we said earlier on, karate is only a trial sport, so That's it right. mightn't even make it in after that. Yeah, it's yeah. and it can be very much dependent on where the Olympics is being held. Absolutely, yeah. On what sports yeah. they want to trial. Yeah, yeah. So, so each country's allowed to have mm. a, a, a trial sport, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, we're kind of we're, we're we're banking on maybe if it went to Budapest or Hungary at some stage that we might get a look in there because the kickboxing organisation in Hungary is um is very much it's massive like and it's very much involved um it's it's recognized as a huge sport within in Hungary the politicians in kickboxing in Hungary 
are well known, they're well regarded. Um, they, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd be relationships with international politicians within the country as well. So we think Hungary might be, you know, it could be fertile ground for kickboxing to start its Olympic participation journey. But hey, who knows? It's, yeah. it's a long way away, regardless. But having recognition is a great start. And which discipline would you see most likely to get ah, in? God. This is. Do you know, um, it's hard to they're say. They're not going to take all no, they seven. Can't. So. No, they can't. So how it works is the IOC will say there's X amount of medals. Um, you know, you, you guys fill them. But at the same time, I think the IOC would, would you know, they, they'd nearly expect the sports coming in would be spectator friendly. Mm. If karate stays in, I can't see point fighting going in because it's the same yeah. thing, give or take. Yeah. Like contact kick light, I'm not too sure. Um, I think the big spectator sport within kickboxing is K1. You know, it's not it's it's a full contact sport. It's in the ring. You've got knees. You know, it's a, it's a heavy sport. It's it's already in the world games, um, and it has a huge lobby. So I don't know. I'd love to see light contact in there, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think so. It's would probably I. yeah. I'd, love I'd like it. to see that yeah, as well. Yeah. But I think some of the steps like that that have been taken, like making the ring smaller. Yeah, for and light that, contact. Yeah, yeah, I think that's potentially made it not spectator friendly. Would it you de- think? Yeah, it depends. Would it depends. Think? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely an element of it. Definitely an element of light contact has gone very scrappy. Yeah, very, very scrappy, especially in Ireland. Um, I, I, I don't think across the board we're training light contact the way it should be trained. If you go to any of the national tournaments, unfortunately, you might see you know just guys just going at it basically, but no real understanding of tactics or movement within the ring or yeah. you know any of that type of stuff so yeah it, it, it has a challenge for itself at that at, you know in regards to that but then when you travel away you see international standard light contact especially from the likes of Russia from the Hungarians from the Italians they're very technical mm. like the, the Russians as you, you, you well know Jamie the Russians cross train a lot of them are amateur boxers Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the WACO Russian team are also ITF members as well so yeah. you've got good kicking ability but you've also got good boxing, boxing ability base. as well yeah yeah, yeah. So it has. I mean, it's made it's made light contact um, much more intense, for sure. But yeah. yeah, there's a downside to it as well, and that it has become a little bit scrappy in places. Yeah, yeah. I like that the high pressure style is very yeah. is rewarded if you're technical and you can bring a high pressure yeah. for the three rounds. Yeah. yeah, I think people that's why people like Russian that are having 100%. that bit of, bit of success. Not, yeah, and I'm not sure whether all of the judges would have the the eye for spotting the counter punches. Someone going back. I remember Lauren fighting an Italian fighter at the Bristol Open. Um, and the Italian fighter just came forward, came forward, came forward. But Lauren was outboxing her on the back foot. Like mm. I mean, I remember it's on video. Actually, I have it on video where she caught her five counter punches as she was going back, not in a straight line either. And the Italian girl got the <laughs> got the score for it only because she's coming forward. You know, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's it's just one of those things. But I think light contact is is, is going to keep evolving. At the moment, actually, it's interesting because I was doing a, a development paper for Kickboxing Ireland and I was looking at the statistics. And the registration for the recent World and European Championships and light contact had the most of the tatami sports. And the ring sports wouldn't be huge anyway, but of the tatami sports, it was always point fighting or semi-contact as it was, had the huge numbers. But now it's actually light contact had the largest percentage of participation at the last World Championships, which which is great for light contact. Do you think that's potentially with people looking to maybe are making a transition from points to light contact to maybe full contact and then into MMA? Do you think there's maybe potentially a phase that way? I don't know. Possibly for some people. Yeah, possibly yeah. possibly for some people. I just think light contact's become a little bit more sexier of late, you know. Um, there's there's definitely been an influx of people from points to do light contact. 
Um, like, 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 it's it's a funny one. Like, you, you don't. It's not like contact. You get bloody hit hard in like contact, but it's just the def- definition of the rule set. Yeah, I think even some bit in taekwondo, it's like you're trying to hurt the person without making it look like you're, yeah, you're exactly, trying to hurt the yeah, person. Just yeah. like that, we're going to swing big yeah, shots, but exactly, we, they exactly. have to be clean to not look like they're the big exactly. shots. Exactly, like you're always going to get hit as hard, like from your opponent. They're going to hit you as hard as they possibly can, regardless, and try and get away with it. Yeah. So there's an element of. Um, like contact being seen as maybe a tougher sport or you know to validate themselves to be involved in like contact a lot of ITF people have have uh, transferred into into like contact as well um but that's that's changed of the with the rule set with the the ring size getting smaller it now doesn't suit the long yeah. range fighter um you had that extra meter to be on the back foot keep the lead leg up mm. fence with the leg you know keep people at range but now people are actually right on top of you nearly from the get-go. Yeah. And the long-range fighters were finding it difficult to adapt And I think as well, see, coming from taekwondo, because you have the, the two points for the kick to yeah. the body, yeah. whereas in kickboxing it's only the one point, yeah. you don't have to respect the leg as much yeah, exactly, to yeah. be giving up the points. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, no, you're see, I think like that's came across. Yeah. But do you think as well maybe the, the kick light has, uh, do you think that's been brought in in terms of potential IOC yeah, um, yeah, kick. Yeah, it's a funny one actually. The kick, the kick light was was brought in um, to develop the K one and the low kick elements, which were, were were quite small. When it came in, it was the first time it was in Poland in two thousand and thirteen, and and what you had was just a lot of light contact people doing kick light, um, and it 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 didn't look great to be honest with you. It wasn't what it should have been, but the way it's evolved now of late is that it's actually brought a, a lot more people from K one clubs and low kick clubs doing kick light. Yeah, for progression. And the sport has evolved massively in the last, you know, small number of years. Like kick light is now phenomenally difficult. The range is always going to be close. The contact is hard, and now you're getting kicked in the legs as well as everywhere else. Yeah. So yeah, kick light's going to be one of those disciplines that's really going to blossom. I think in the next few years, just because of the tenacity that's needed, and yeah. it's quite technical. Too. I think it, yeah, I think it's it's a very good discipline. Yeah. When you see it done well. Yeah. When when you see it done well, um, absolutely. I think like. Um, Tony Stevenson and Elijah Everill. Yeah. Like, like that was savage. Yeah, yeah. Two very savage. Tech, two yeah, very, very cracking fighters. fighters. Yeah. But like done well. Wasn't just wading in like two, as I said, two very yeah. technical guys. Yeah, been around so, a long time, both lads, you know. So yeah. It's a bit of a, I wouldn't say a vendetta, but there's there's definitely competition between the two of them. Like Tony's always been at the top of his game. Elijah's been a very successful junior competitor, now a very successful senior competitor. Yeah. And look, both of them are in the 69 kilo <laughs> division. <laughs> And they've met each other, you know, for the last couple of years. And Elijah's always gotten the, the upper hand. I thought Tony beat him in uh, Hungary two, two years ago. He didn't get the result, though. Every time they fight, it's always going to be a great fight. Yeah. Two very, very very clever fighters. And two very, very clever coaches on either side. Like Ian Kingston's tactical ability is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, so I'd pay money to go and watch those guys fight. You know? Yeah, savage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. Cool. It's uh, It's been a pleasure having you on. It certainly has been great um, being here. Thanks for asking me. Uh, thanks a for doing it. Not at all. So, it's been um, a pleasure. In terms of, you, is there anything you want to plug, social media wise, or oh, anything you want to plug? No, nah, not really. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll 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 plug the Black Belt. Or this podcast has been a great initiative. Um, I think just very quickly wrapping up. I think there's been um, in the last twelve to eighteen months, especially coming from Taekwondo, there's been like I think. Richie Forrest doing phenomenal work. I Savage, saw what yeah. Richie was doing on social yeah. media and I thought, geez, this guy has his head really screwed on, you know. And I reached out to Richie and we talked back and forward and share ideas. And then this idea for this podcast came along and worked out that you were doing as well, um, Jamie. I think it's 
it's a step in the right direction. I think it's an exciting time for combat sports, in particular taekwondo, kickboxing, and maybe the minority sports within combat yep. sports, yep. putting it back on the map again and tapping into that real potential and that real, um, you know, that professional approach to coaching and and, and the sport in itself. So fair play to you mm. for getting this off the ground. Mm. This has been a long time mm. coming. Thanks a million. Yeah, no problem. Um, so just wrapping up, I'd just like to say again, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, subscribe. All that good stuff to help it grow. And donate. It Don't forget, donate, donate. Oh, yeah. And this that's stuff it. doesn't happen for free. It's great. Yeah, there is a cost associated with the studio on that, so it would be nice if people could could donate and help cover that cost to help bring in uh, good quality production. So, thanks, man. Happy days. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you.